So the big question is this, how do most agents who don't have access to the secrets that the top agents hoard to themselves grow and prosper in today's real estate environment? That is the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. I'm Pat Hyben, and welcome to Real Estate Rockstars. And now, for the review of the day. TJCH54, five stars. Being a newer agent in the business, I don't ever miss an episode of Rockstars. I appreciate the practical questions Pat asks, which brings about the information I need to apply to my business to have success. If anyone is involved in any aspect of real estate, they're making a mistake by not listening to Pat's podcast Five stars. Thank you, TJH54. Keep the comments coming, guys. I love them. And remember, I eat feedback for breakfast. So give me a one-star review if you want or a five-star review if you want. I don't care. And the more reviews we get, the better guests we get. So please, subscribe first and then leave us a review or wherever you're listening. Okay, Rockstar Nation, I have a good friend of mine and business partner and returning guest, Mr. Andrew Cushman on the line today. And Andrew is all things real estate investment, started out as a house flipper, got into the multifamily. Uh, So pretty much he stayed on the residential side, which is good because a lot of our listeners are residential focused. And there were some questions that have been coming up, I know, in people's minds. And I thought Andrew would be a great person to address these with. Things like, are we headed for a recession? Are interest rates going up? You know, are prices going to continue to go up? Uh, Is it the smartest time to buy still as far as rental properties? And many more. And I thought, who to have a better, not I thought who was a good person to have a conversation with this about, and Andrew came to mind, so I wanted to get him on the show. So, Andrew, welcome back. Good to be here, Pat. Hey, why don't you give everybody a little rundown on yourself, Drew, so they can get to know you better. Sure. started off as a chemical engineer, always wanted to do my own business, but had no idea what that was, so I figured I'd be an engineer until I figured it out. And I uh, got married, and my uh, wife had the same uh, mindset. So we tried all kinds of little businesses. We made popcorn in our kitchen and destroyed the house and tried vending and selling stuff online. And we eventually found real estate and I just saw a huge opportunity there. Uh, Flipped our first house. It was actually a condo here in Southern California. And at that point we said, this is it. So I walked in, quit my job. Uh, That was a little over 10 years ago. Uh, We've been full-time real estate investors ever since. And about six years ago, we transitioned full-time to uh, rentals largely in the apartment and multifamily world. And that's what we do full time. And it's been great. That's awesome. All right, cool. So let's talk about markets first and foremost, because that's one of the bigger, broader topics here. Now, what year, first of all, would you say the real estate market 
crashed last was? Well, it, it actually, it does kind of depend on where your local market is, but I'd say in general, we bottomed out somewhere between 2009 and 2011, depending on, again, kind of where you were in the country. Right. So 2008 was the impetus for it. That's when we started saying, hey, you know, wow, what's going on around here? Yeah. But it, it wasn't actually hitting the bottom till, say, let's say 2010, 2011. If you take 2011, you fast forward to today, you're looking at about six years since then. And what is your knowledge of cycles and how much longer this bull cycle will last? You know, that's one thing we keep hearing is, is, oh, geez, the cycle's gone on for, you know, six years or seven years. And, you know, one thing to keep in mind is, is bull markets don't die of old age. Something has to kill them. So just the fact that the cycle's been a little bit long isn't necessarily a, an omen of doom. With that said, we, you know, it has been a, a pretty, pretty good sized bull market, six, seven years. I think the longest one in U.S. history is 10. So we may have, you know, two, three, four years to go. With that said, currently there's, you know, we can't really point to anything that, you know, we can say, oh, this is, this is going to take us down or, or, you know, this, this is, you know, if this keeps going for another couple of months, we're going to end up into a recession. But then again, almost no one ever does see it coming either. So my sense would be we're probably... Now, if you look at asset pricing for both single family and multifamily and at the stock market and, and some other classes, my sense would be that we're more likely nearing the end or the top of the cycle, but it could run for a few more years. And I wouldn't necessarily, and so I would use that as a reason to be more cautious, but not to just completely step out and say, I'm not going to do anything because it could keep going a lot longer than anyone thinks. Hmm, interesting. Yeah. Um, well, you know, I understand the concept of the black swan, right? And you needed yep. a black swan to kind of whack the market in the side of the head. And that's essentially what happened with, you know, Lehman Brothers and the mortgage, the mortgage crisis, let's just say. Nobody anticipated, well, not nobody. If you watch movies like The Big Short, and it shows you that people did anticipate it, but not very many anticipated the mortgage market and the mortgage industry collapsing completely like it did or almost completely there's certainly other black swans oh yeah uh, that could happen i mean there's already things starting now you know six months ago no one thought we'd be pushing more troops in afghanistan six months ago we never thought that they would be in a pissing match with north korea you know those are potential black swans obviously that could definitely knock over the house of cards you're always at the risk of some European or South American economic collapse. I mean, some, some country, I mean, look at Venezuela right now, right? Some, or, you know, what happened with Greece years ago. There's, there's almost always a short list or sometimes, unfortunately, a long one of those kind of countries that could have an economic collapse. And then, you know, that's the, the butterfly or the domino that starts the next chain of events that, you know, leads to something bigger. Okay, yeah. I mean, absolutely. There's probably more things now with the Trump presidency as far as potential black swans that could come out of nowhere. Not to say any of those would even, you know, have the effect that the mortgage collapse did. They're newsworthy, but I don't know if they would make everything collapse. But it's interesting. So 10 years is the longest cycle. Do you know when that was? I, you know, I don't. I think it was... 
I want to say it was, um, wasn't it? I think it was the 90s. Wasn't it like 89 to 99? That sounds about right. Yeah. So, so it could. So let's say you take that. It could go to 2021 or it could end next month. You just don't know. So what are you seeing? I know your, your job right now or your, what you spend your time doing is looking at deals. What are you seeing in most markets as far as real estate? for investment that we can yeah. learn from? You know, in most markets, what I'm seeing is it really is getting more challenging to buy rental properties that cash flow appropriately. You know, asset pricing is up for both single family rentals and for multifamily of all sizes. And so, of course, you know, the more you pay for that, the harder, you know, rents are up, but not not in direct proportion to, to pricing. So it's definitely, you know, definitely harder to, purchase properties that cash flow well enough and you know and there's a lot of competition for for what is available to purchase and especially you know kind of getting back to you know what I was saying earlier about well we you know we're probably towards at least the second half or t- closer to the end in the beginning of this cycle and you want to be more cautious so what that means in application is is you know looking for something that's value add where you can buy a house or a fourplex or a hundred unit apartment complex and you know spend the Two thousand dollars a unit and bump the rents. You know, rent a hundred dollars or two hundred dollars, and now your basis is a little bit lower. And what you've done is you've brought the value of your property up to just where today's market is. And then, so now you're in a position where, okay, if the market keeps going up, great, that's just gravy. If the market stays where it is, you have a nice cash flowing asset with a good cash basis. And then, if the market does drop, You've, you know, you raised rents a good chunk. You have a low basis. You should be able to ride out any kind of recession, you know, safely. And that's, that's kind of the idea right now. And what I mean by, you know, it's not time to just jump out and sit there and, you know, stick, stick your money under the, under the mattress, but it's just changed and just the strategy maybe a little bit and just don't bank on further market appreciation. As a member of the Rockstar Nation, you may have noticed that every guest that comes on the show now is required to bring with them a free tool, an item of utility that real estate agents can use to drastically increase their sales and profits. Some of the things that have been brought have been ebooks, forms, reports, negotiating techniques, hiring guides, postcards, checklists open house secrets, newsletters that are sent out, sphere of influence forms, referral request forms, and the list goes on and on. If you would like to get this free toolbox full of items of utility, simply go to hybendigital.com backslash toolbox. That's hybendigital.com backslash toolbox or simply text toolbox to 444-999. That's toolbox to 444-999. Yeah, essentially what you're saying is you used to be able, and this is in the last couple of years, to buy the back end of a flip and rent it out, so to speak. To buy a house that was bought by somebody else at a bargain price, fixed up, made to today's standard and rent out. But if you did that today and the person that was selling it to you on the back end was charging market value, the numbers wouldn't work well as far as returns for the investor 
right? You really need to be the guy that buys it at the flipped price where it's a piece of crap and put your own yeah. money into fixing it up and then rent it out, right? It's just a lot easier to make the numbers work that way. Yeah, I mean, I, and there's different strategies, different markets, but I personally wouldn't buy anything right now that's turnkey and I, and I certainly wouldn't pay full market value for it. You know, maybe the exception is, is if, you know, you're, you're, you're an agent and you're just, you're just cranking away and you're, you know, you've got huge vertical income and you've got cash to invest. You're just generating all this money to invest and you're going to buy something and you're going to hold it for 30 years. And you, you know, you don't care if, you know, the price goes down for five years or something like that. That might be an exception. And, and, and you that's don't care if you strategy. make, don't make any money for, for five or seven years. You know, I looked at buying a, yeah, exactly. a, a rental house here in Folly Beach, South Carolina, and airbnb it, and I talked to the local realtor here who has sold some to, to investors, and he's like, it's, you won't make a profit until year seven or eight. Yeah, that doesn't work for me. Said, <laughs> no thanks. I said, what do you mean? He's like, well, you're going to, with 20% down, you'll basically break even for the first seven years, and then after that, and it's all based on the rents going up every year. Uh, if they don't. After yeah. that, you'll make money. And I'm like, no. My world, I want to make money day one, right? Is that how you think? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Because you, you don't, you know, part of it is it's just getting a good return on your hard earned capital. And then number two is, you know, that's a lot of the people that, that got caught in the last recession were the ones that were doing that. Because I remember having conversations with realtors here in Southern California and about rentals and they're like oh yeah you know the first year you're going to have a negative cash flow of four hundred dollars a month and then by year by year seven you'll break even and i remember i asked him like well what if rents go down and he just looked at me like that doesn't happen you know and then like you know three years later it all just collapsed yeah. <laughs> well let's talk about that like because i think that's an assumption that rents only go one way and can you address that yeah. So if you, I mean, generally speaking, big, big picture that tends to be true or flat or going up. But if you, I mean, look, you say go back, the same thing about the stock market, right? The stock market, you talk to my mom who's been in the stock market 60 years and she'll say, yeah, it exactly. always goes up. Right. And even though we know that's not true, I guess that's kind of how people are saying rents always go up. Right. Yeah. And it's a dangerous assumption. So if you go back to the great recession, the worst year for rent growth nationally was 2009 and rents dropped 6.9%, right? So, you know, just, so think about that. If you're, if you're collecting, just to use round numbers, $100,000 on a property, you know, by in the beginning of 2009, at the end of 2009, you're going to be collecting, you know, 93000 or something like that. So that was the worst year. When we talk about the next recession or the next soft patch and the next downturn, you know, we do need to keep in mind, odds are it's not going to be as bad as the last one. I mean, that was, you know, we call it the great recession for a reason is, is it was, wow. a, it was a, yeah, it was a full on collapse of an industry. I mean, you mm -hmm. had a lot of factors. Now, will something like that happen again in the future with the way, you know, our debt is and all that? Probably yes. I mean, I kind of agree with Robert Kiyosaki that it's all heading to, it's got to resolve somehow, but I really don't think that's going to be in the immediate future for a number of different reasons. So if you go back and use, you know, again, this is getting back to changing strategy and, and how to be cautious in, in this market is if you go back to 2009, the worst rent growth we had was negative 6.9%. So if you're buying a property and a single family house or fourplex or whatever, and you look at that and you go, Hey, if I put a few grand into this and I can bump rents 25% just to get them to today's market, 
And then you do that. And then we get a recession. And let's say it's as bad. And then, you know, two years in a row, rents drop 7%, right? Well, now your rents are down 14, 15%. You're still 10% higher than when you bought it. And you're still cash flowing. So that's kind of the strategy that I really employ now in particular is making sure that, you know, I'm buying something where from day one, as long as I, you know, you got to buy it right, you finance it right and you operate it right. So from day one, I'm buying it at the right price so that when I operate it, I can get the rents up so that if the market stays flat or goes up, that's just gravy. If it goes down, I still have a big enough cushion that I can absorb it and I'm still cash flowing. And when the next cycle up cycle comes along, I'll be just sitting there ready to go. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. You know, we, we've had some economists on the show as of recent and, you know, they're telling us that building starts for single family homes for people to buy are way down and starts for apartment buildings are way up. And a lot of those same builders that used to build homes are now building apartments everywhere. Yeah, And so they're all betting on the come that more and more and more people are going to want to rent rather than buy because that's where they're spending their money on. And I've actually personally had some rental properties. I have some rental properties down at University of Maryland College Park. And I've had rents uh, go down on one of the units particularly because uh, in a significant drop, like 30% drop in rents because I went from college kids to family simply because some of those builders came into town and built massive high rises for the college kids. And they sucked the college kid market out of this one neighborhood. And now I rent to families, which I can't charge, you know, per bedroom per kid like I can the college. So I I saw recently a decrease in rents in, in some of my portfolio. And I know that if I was banking on that when I bought it, right? And luckily, I, I bought it 15 years ago. But if I bought it last year and was banking on that higher rent, I'd be totally screwed. Yeah, absolutely. And then and that also gets back to being careful about picking your markets, right? So there's a lot of mar- markets, like especially in the urban cores of San Francisco, Oakland, Dallas, Atlanta, where they have built and are still building tons of these you know a class luxury high rises and if whatever if your rental property competes with those you're probably going to have a a tough couple of years i mean it may not it's not going to be you know it's not going to be the great recession but if you're competing with them those guys are trying to do lease ups they're offering concessions that's a place i wouldn't want to be right now i certainly wouldn't you know i certainly wouldn't buy in those in those places right now yeah okay so let's talk about interest rates right? Been down a long time. How long have we been down? We've been in a basically a 30 plus year downtrend now. Jeez. That's yeah, incredible. 30 year plus. Explain that. Uh, you know, I think interest rates peaked in 87 or 89, somewhere around there. Remember, you know, if you talk to, you know, my parents are, are right around 60. And if you talk to anyone in that general area, they'll tell you their first house, their first mortgage was, you know, 8% or 9% or 12% or something like that. Yeah. You know, whereas nowadays we're like, oh, mortgage rates are up to four and a half. It's going, you know, it's affordable. Yeah. yeah. It's like, well, it's not, not in the grand scheme of things. So, you know, we've got a 30 year downtrend. And of course, recently in the short term, rates have ticked up a little bit, not really that much, a little bit. And part, part of that has to do with the Fed raising short-term rates. Long-term rates haven't come up that much. But if you, if you pull up a 30-year chart of interest rates, like for the, the 10-year treasury, 
the increase that we've had recently is still within that 30-year downtrending channel. Yeah. And, you know, look, going forward, you know, I can see some, in the near term, I can see some moderate rate increase as the Fed continues to maybe increase short-term rates a little bit. They also have a lot of, I forget, like $4 trillion worth of mortgage-backed securities on their balance sheet that they need to sell off. Right. And so that's going to push down bond prices and probably inflate interest rates a little bit. But long term, big picture, I really don't see a whole lot of interest rate risk. You know, three, I'd say three reasons for that. Number one is whenever we do get a recession, what happens to interest rates in a recession typically? They, they, they go down. They go, oh, okay. They're forced down, right? Yeah. yeah. Interest rates go down in a recession. So if we get that recession that everybody's worried about, interest rates will more than likely go down. Another reason is, is when, you know, if we have a black swan event, again, what typically happens? Well, you have flight, you know, if North Korea lobs a missile at somebody or, you know, the European economies have financial troubles, you get flight to quality. The whole world buys U.S. bonds and and guess what? Interest rates tend to go down. Another reason, kind of even bigger picture is, you know, we ha currently have, I just checked the U.S. debt clock and we're at 19.97 trillion in, in government debt. And I, I, the average interest rate on that is something like two point whatever percent. Our government cannot afford to refinance that debt at higher rates. And I'm not a conspiracy theory guy, but yeah, I, I can't. I, I, part of me wants to believe that probably has something to do with the the, the consistent thirty year downtrend in rates. Is the bigger and bigger our debt gets, the more and more our government has to make sure rates don't go too much higher. Because how how can we how can we refinance twenty trillion dollars at a at, you know double the interest rate? It yeah, goes. yeah. Well, it's interesting. I mean, that Kiyosaki predicts that in and of itself, essentially, the government will be the next collapse. It, unfortunately, it looks like, you know, it's definitely headed that direction. It seems like someone always, we find a way out or pull another magic trick or kick the can down the road further, but I don't think it's going to collapse in the immediate term, but someday, sometime, you know, we're going to have to really deal with that and it's not going to be good. Yeah, and it could come to the point, I mean, uh, Trump could decide to treat it like he does a business and, and say, you know, you guys... Suck it up! You're, you know, you're the one who borrowed all this. You know, let's let's fix it the way capital capitalist society should fix it, and that's let it work 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 its own kinks out, and yeah, let the chips fall where they may. And at that point, you could have a, a government shutdown, a federal government shutdown. You could have some major black swanee feeling type things happen. As a member of the Rockstar Nation, you may have noticed that every guest that comes on the show now is required to bring with them a free tool, an item of utility that real estate agents can use to drastically increase their sales and profits. Some of the things that have been brought have been ebooks, forms, reports, negotiating techniques, hiring guides, postcards, checklists open house secrets, newsletters that are sent out, sphere of influence forms, referral request forms, and the list goes on and on. If you would like to get this free toolbox full of items of utility, simply go to hybendigital.com backslash toolbox. That's hybendigital.com backslash toolbox or simply text toolbox to 444-999. That's toolbox to 444-999. Thank you.
you know, and now actually you bring up a really good point. Now that is a black swan event that could raise rates. If something happened that seriously undermined the world's faith in our government and our ability to pay our debts. Yeah. Very possible. Very possible. So let's talk about some specifics about buying, right? A lot of people still going in strong, uh, buying rental properties. Some people like myself have pulled back. Uh, you know, I haven't bought a single family rental in a long time on purpose. And just because I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not a guy that likes to, you know, buy towards the top of anything. What should people be doing in their market? How should they determine I should keep plowing my profits from my real estate sales team into rental real estate uh, versus I should be saving cash on the side and wait for it to plummet and then invest? Yeah, part of it depends on, I would say, yeah, number one, your, your local market, and then number two, you know, your, your investment goal. So, and kind of going back to what we were talking about before, for you and I, we want to see profit day one, cash flow day one. Mm -hmm. So I would say, you know, that right there would be the first deciding factor for, for me is if I'm looking at buying a rental, you know, here in Southern California, it, it won't, it's not going to cash flow. I mean, I've looked at stuff, even, even buying it 30% off, it still doesn't cash flow. So, you know, I would, I would now I'd buy it and flip it, but you know, I buy it as a rental. I wouldn't. So that's how, that's the number one way I would make that decision is does it produce profit day one? And if it doesn't, then the next question would be, well, okay, do I want to just sit and wait or do I want to find another market to invest in? Because uh, there are still markets across the country where you can get, you know, people like to quote the 2% rule or the 1% rule or whatever. There yeah. are markets in the Midwest and other parts of the country where you can get that. You're not going to get as much appreciation, but you also don't have as much downside risk either. So yeah. those are the first two questions I would ask and answer. Yeah. That, and, and that's great advice. And guys, you know, if you haven't listened to shows in the past, the 1% rule obviously is easy to do. You just, if the house is a hundred thousand, you should be getting a thousand a month in rent period. So 12,000 a year, 2% obviously is crazy, not crazy, but really good, which is if the house is a hundred thousand, you should be getting 20,000 a month in, in rent. I mean, 2000 a month in rent. Yeah, I'll take 000. that 20,000 one bet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so uh, there's places in the Midwest, you could still find that. I know one of the things you do is you look for apartments. How are you finding the apartment buying market right now? Very similar to single family in that there's limited inventory. A lot of the sellers have very high expectations and a lot of the pricing just doesn't, doesn't underwrite and meet. And what I mean by that is when we look at it and say, okay, if we buy this for you know, X price and finance it with whatever financing is available, will it meet our, our cash flow targets? And, and money and most of them don't. But the stuff that we are buying, we just closed on uh, 80 units in July. And the stuff that we are buying is generally, you know, it's not listed. It's, you know, just saying, I mean, it's really similar to single family market. If you're just, you know, like in single family, if you're just looking for deals on the MLS, you're probably not going to find a deal. And so same thing in the apartment market. If you're just, all you're doing is going to Marcus and Millichap and saying, what do you have listed? You're probably not going to get anything that, that I would buy right now. So just like a lot of investors and agents get, you know, off market or pocket listings, that's how it's working even in even in the large apartment world is the stuff that we're finding where we can add value, have a good basis, have great cash flow, even with today's rents, 
it's stuff where, you know, either we're getting directly in touch with the seller ourselves or a broker that we've got a really good relationship with talks to the seller and says, Hey, you know, what? I know a guy might be a good match for you. And then he just brings it to me and I run the numbers and say, yeah, this could work. And it's just that. And then we put the deal together. It never gets listed. It never gets marketed. Uh, that's how we're doing deals. And, and, you know, and it seems to be the case from single family to small multifamily all the way up to the, the, the hundred plus unit stuff. Yeah. It seems like a lot of investors that are out there now are inexperienced, right? Because yes. you're actually losing deals on multiple bid contracts where you're like, man, I, I thought, you know, I had fairly liberal standards as far as what I would buy. And people are buying for significantly more than you would have been willing to pay, right? Yeah. Well, and you've got a couple of challenges. Number one is just what you said. You've got a lot of inexperienced people who have, you know, just taken a course or whatever, or just getting, maybe, or maybe get too excited or don't know how to underwrite. And they're just, they just want to win a deal. They got to win a deal, right? And yeah, so they're right. overpaying. The other factor is global cash. We've got money from, you know, all over mm. the world pouring in. And like, you know, when I, when I talk to investors from Europe, they don't, they're not looking to get a 12% cash on cash return. They're excited if we, if to, at four or 5% yeah. because in Europe, that's killer. So if they can come over here, make 5% and have almost, you know, very low chance of losing money, they're thrilled. So we got to compete with, with those guys and, you know, they're buying multifamily, they're buying pools of single family. So that, that's part of what it is. Now the, the people who are inexperienced and are just, you know, winning the bid on a, on a marketed property, yeah, unfortunately, those are probably the people that some point down the road we're going to be buying deals from. Wow. You heard it here first. Those are the people who are going to end up getting foreclosed on. And then seven, eight, ten years from now, Cushman's going to be in there buying them out. So, <laughs> and he's on the dollar. Well, listen, Andrew, this has been awesome. I appreciate you coming on and talking about all things of real estate and real estate investment. I'm going to put all of Andrew's information on hybendigital.com backslash Andrew Cushman, the number two. That's hybendigital.com backslash Andrew Cushman, two. Thanks, Drew. Listen, best of luck to you, and I will see you in the near future. All right. Sounds good, Pat. Great talking with you. Thank you for tuning in to Real Estate Rockstars. Please subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you may be listening. If you haven't already, please give us a review. I don't care whether it's a one-star review or a five-star review. We eat feedback for breakfast, and we need your reviews. Also, the more reviews we get, the better our guests become. Thanks again for listening, and find me on social media simply by typing in my name. I'm Pat Hyben, and keep rocking. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>